This episode of the Planet Microcap podcast is brought to you by Friedman LLP, a top 40 global accounting, tax, and business consulting and advisory firm, providing a full spectrum of services for public and private companies since 1924. Contact Friedman when you will need to raise capital and adhere to U.S. standards. The Friedman partners will work diligently with you to provide the financial assurance, regulatory, and transactional services you need. When the stakes are highest, Friedman makes sure you are well equipped. For more information and to get a Friedman free consultation, please call 856-830-1660 or email Neil Levine at N-L-E-V-I-N-E at FriedmanLLP.com. Again, for more information and a free consultation, call 856-830-1660 or email Neil Levine at N-L-E-V-I-N-E at FriedmanLLP.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. You can follow Planet Microcap on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T, and you're listening to episode 162. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to tweet at me or shoot me an email at rcraft at snnwired.com. And when you do get a chance, if you like what you hear, please rate and review Planet Microcap on iTunes. It really helps provide feedback for me and spread the Microcap message. Save the date. The Planet Microcap Showcase Virtual is here. It's coming. It's taking place April 20 through 22, 2021. The website is live now. You can find the full details for the event at www.planetmicrocapshowcase.com. Registration is open. So if you want to register, just click the register button once you're there and you'll be all set. I have many, many announcements coming. Some speakers, sponsors, companies, the whole deal. So I'm, I'm very, very excited about our lineup that we have uh, uh, in place for you this year. This week from the SNN Podcast Network, we have the following shows coming up. New episodes of In the Market Trenches with Gary Reby and Eric Fiore, and the Investors Roundtable are coming this week. First up, Gary and Eric welcome you all back after a, you know, a little brief hiatus to provide their takes on what has been an eventful first couple of months in 2021. Meme stocks, crypto, Pascal's wager. You'll find out when you listen what how that relates. Uh, SPACs, vaccine rollout, they, they cover it all. You can check out this episode on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or Podbean at inthemarkettrenches.podbean.com. On the Investors Roundtable, our topic is earnings. Year-end and Q4 results have been rolling out and figured this would be a good opportunity for us to discuss what our panel has seen thus far. 
how they're assessing 2020 results, things investors should look out for in the filings and, and more. You can watch this episode on the SNN Network YouTube channel at www.youtube.com slash SNNWire and listen to the audio version on this very stream, the Planet Microcap podcast stream. Now, for this episode of the Planet Microcap podcast, I spoke with Charlie Grant. He runs Heard on the Street at the Wall Street Journal. It's not often that we get someone who writes a daily column for the Wall Street Journal on here. So we discuss all the 2021 hot topics he's been writing about. You know, Bitcoin on the balance sheet, Tesla takes, you know, we're, we're just trying to make sense of what's been happening thus far, despite only being the end of February. I had an absolute blast chatting with Charlie, and I had no doubt that you will enjoy hearing his insights on here. So thank you again for tuning into episode 162 of the Planet Microcap podcast, and please enjoy my conversation with Charlie Grant. Welcome back, everybody, to the Planet Microcap podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. You can follow me on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. And I have an, an, I mean, all my guests are incredible. I love having every guest that I have on here. I don't know. I, quite frankly, I still ask myself why they talk to me. I'm very thankful that they do. But, you know, it's not often that we get somebody that actually works at the Wall Street Journal. And, uh, and he's been very gracious to uh, spend some time with us today. We got Charlie Grant from Heard on the Street at the Wall Street Journal. Charlie? Thank you for joining me today. How you doing? Thanks for having me, man. And guess what? I'm looking for someone to talk to, too. It's been a lonely year. Oh, it's, you know, listen, man, I can be that shoulder to cry on. We can do virtual hugs. Whatever you need, Absolutely. dude, I'm here for you. Absolutely. I'm here to talk about everything I'm sad about for the full hour. So. <laughs> All right. So then where should we start? You, you tell me. <laughs> I, uh, you know. Uh, cause I'm assuming that your passion for investing is not what you're sad about, or maybe, I don't know, on some days it might be, it's you know, depending well, on the pick, you know, right? It's, 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 uh, the thing about, the thing about a market that goes straight up every day is it's pretty repetitive. So, um, writing a daily newspaper when the story is the same kind of every day, uh, can, can be a challenge. So it's, you know, we're not risking money at the paper. We're not, I'm not making or losing a dime on the market beyond my index funds, but you know, uh, can be frustrating to cover uh, Bitcoin, Bitcoin to the moon for day 300. So, <laughs> I mean, you had some, you know, there was, there was some WSB chairman, you know, w, Wall Street bets for a second. You know, we had, there, there was a couple other, th- I mean, it's been an eventful year, man. I think, you know, should we just start there? Should we start with current events? I mean, I, you know, we'll sure. get into your background and everything. Might as well start there. I mean, you, you just, I mean, most recent article you wrote was on Bitcoin on the balance sheets now. You know, what, I mean, you cover Tesla a lot. You you you've been on you've been on many shows talking about Tesla as well. And I mean, that's kind of the main reason why you brought it up in this article. So, what what's going on here? Is this now a new trend that we'll see? Well, you know, I mean, I think we've been in a very easy money environment, and I think what has happened. You know, everyone knows where rates are. Everyone knows uh, what central banks are doing. Um, and I think a lot of the risk of business failure at you know major at publicly traded companies anyway that have access to the bond market, it has really gone away. I mean, if you told us that airlines who go in, you know, through history have gone bankrupt, you know, annually, some airline goes bust, you know, regulars in bankruptcy court could survive a full year of 
pandemic hobble travel demand. You know, I never would have believed it. And both because of government money and because the capital markets have been so uh, compliant, you know, they've, they've, they've been able to get through this. And it's really amazing. And that has, you know, some pretty big implications uh, for risk appetites. And so companies are starting, you know, Tesla got all the headlines with Bitcoin because, all right, look, we do sell subscriptions. And when Tesla and Bitcoin go in one headline, we're going to we're going to write that story. Um, <laughs> but but it's, of course, it's not just Tesla, you know, MicroStrategy, this little company most people haven't heard of much. Uh selling converts at 0% interest to buy Bitcoin and people love it. Um, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't really have an anti-Bitcoin point of view. I've, I've heard, you know, I don't fully understand it myself, which I'm happy to admit. And I've heard bulls make a persuasive case for the value of Bitcoin. Um, but, you know, it's an untested thing. Uh, it hasn't been through many cycles, it's it's a volatile asset. And if an investor wants to speculate in Bitcoin, they can do that with or without the companies there. You know, some of these CEOs are talking about diversification. And to me, as an investor, you can do your own diversification. You don't need a corporation to be doing that, right? An automaker or a corporate strategy software developer should, you know, historically should focus on that. But we're seeing people kind of dip into this uh, crypto excitement and um, it's it's a wild time and I have no idea how this will shake out. I mean, I guess are gone are the days of I don't know a dividend or I don't know reinvestment or uh, I, I know I, I, I feel I buy feel back like stock a, like <laughs> those days I feel like on. such an angry boomer. Get off my lawn. Yeah. Where's my dividend? But, <laughs> but, but seriously, like, I mean, the way you know the the you know I I read security analysis by Ben Graham a decade ago, and it all made perfect sense and seemed to sort of match with the world we were looking at back then. And if you open that book today, it's like you're compared to today's market, it's like he's speaking Klingon, right? I mean, it's just not, uh, it's just not, the, it's, it's not on the same page in the same chapter in the same book as what's going on today. So uh, historically, uh, that, has, you know, these things burst, but maybe soon, maybe not. And as and, you know, the investors I talk to regularly who are trying to manage a book in this environment are all beside themselves because how do you keep up? Um, you know, they're take. You know, this is an insane risk I'm taking, but I'm going to take it anyway. Is a call I take a lot. I mean, people have uh, career. You know, career risk is a real thing. Keep being the one guy who's not making great returns in this environment can be very lonely. And, uh, you know, you, people don't want to get fired. People don't want to get fired, even if they think the market doesn't make sense. And that's a really powerful force. Yeah, that's why I thought you were going to say, I thought you correct yourself about getting fucked versus getting fired. You know, that was... <laughs> well, you also don't want that. I mean, yeah. No. Some of that in some of the January trading in GameStop and other stocks. But <laughs> yeah, it's no. a technical term that we can't use in the paper, but I think you know it when you see it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's just, it, there's so many different directions we can go with this topic. And I'm, li listen, I, I'm sure you, you've co you covered them all. I, I feel like at this point already, I, I empathize with you on how to, the newest angle to cover what, what's happening right now. You know, it's like, what new thing will happen next that will cause it to go to 60,000? And 
Well, well, in some years, in some years, you know, if you ask me seven weeks into the year, what are the big themes so far in the year? I'll have to come up with some BS and, you know, people will have something, a completely different list and they'll say, what? No, that's not the theme. And this year, I think we can all agree what the theme is, which is <laughs> Reddit gone wild. Yeah. Hey, let's go there, man. We'd love, I mean, what, what's been, what, what, let's get your take, you know, Reddit going wild, you know, kind of this stick it to the man mentality, you know, Wall Street bets, throwing in a little, sprinkling a little bit of a shades of Occupy Wall Street, you know, I mean, what, what's, what's been your take on all this? It was wild. I mean, you know, no, you know, I, hatred of vitriol toward, not hatred, vitriol toward short sellers is something you see often in markets, but usually it's like after the thing has collapsed, and just hearing hearing people scream about short sellers while the S&P is at 4,000 or whatever, wherever we are now, 30, 38, whatever it is, uh, it seems unusual to me. Um, I think crowdsource investing could be cool in theory. Like there's, there's nothing wrong with people gathering to discuss ideas, but, you know, Reddit has some unique user i can't believe i have to read reddit for my job now by the way as an aside but um you know people can upvote what they want and downvote what they don't want to read which in theory is cool for some discussions if you're discussing your favorite band that's cool for investing ideas you should probably hear the other side of the story before you risk your money especially if you don't really understand what's going on um reddit so Reddit is, uh, you know, social media is, in some ways, it's nothing new, right? I mean, we had the Yahoo message boards and .com and all that. But the power of the message boards is stronger than they've ever been, right? There's just more and more people 100%. logged in. Things whip around the world. Someone tweets, game stunk and at 4.07 p.m. And the thing doubles after doubling during cash trading um, or whatever crazy move we saw. Um, you have job ja rule using his Twitter to tell people to buy what, whichever one it was. I mean, all this makes my head hurt. I, I forget which ticker he was yeah. evangelized, but you know, uh, it's democracy is a good thing and in finance, it can be a good thing, but it, it does have disadvantages. And, uh, I feel like we'll, we've seen some of them, uh, my colleague, Rachel Ensign, had this fantastic story about the day traders uh, who were later to the game in GameStop. And while some people, you know, blasted off from 10 bucks to about 490 or whatever it was, some people caught it at 480 and, you know, wrote it down to 50. And I think we should, you know, I'm, I'm very sympathetic to everyone who did something they didn't understand but you know uh that's why the markets are not a game right this is this is serious business and you can bad things can happen if, if you uh play around too much and also i mean that also goes for melvin capital of course right it's not just reddit who got that over their skis but um you know these are risk assets and risk uh cuts both ways yeah, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it, there's two things, that, two different rabbit holes I wanted to go down. You know, the first thing is, you know, especially with message boards, you know, that you're right. It's not nothing, especially, I mean, look, we're in microcaps, like those message boards, especially for microcaps, you know, depending on how 
much a name is talked about, like that can drive that market. You know, uh, you've seen it yourself. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, so it's, it's, it's nothing new. It's just, it's, it's, it's just been like given just uh, not just like one shot of steroids, you know, for, for a given year, it's like gotten a couple, it was like a couple doses, maybe infinity amount of doses, you know, yeah. it's just, it's just incredible. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, and, and, you know, you can find interesting things on a message board. Like, I mean, I, as part of my reporting, you know, covering the drug industry, there's this website, Cafe Pharma, where all the dr sales reps gather to gossip. And I mean, you cannot rely on this. Uh, you cannot rely on this in your reporting, right? You have to actually go verify things yourself. But, you know, of course. You, we've, we've read interesting things on that site that turned out to be true. And, um, you know, there was a company a few years ago called Valiant Pharmaceuticals that some people might remember. And the message boards were just hotbeds of, you know, crazy allegations for years. And some of them were not true. And some of them were. And, uh, you know, people talk on these things. You can, my point is you, you, you can get valuable information from them, but you just have to be very careful about how you use it as a business journalist, certainly. And I mean, it's not the exact same thing from an investment point of view, but you also need to be careful with how you wield the information you have. Yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting also is that, it, and, and this is taking a quick divergence also to another point that you brought up about, you know, how everyone, you know, there's such vitriol towards short sellers, but it's, I feel like in, in recent years, it's got, it's gone away from those that were actually doing quality due diligence and, you know, and, and, and we're just finding frauds and which was great for the market because you want to get rid of the fraud. You don't, you want to, you want to have uh, equitable markets. You want to make sure that, you know, good companies are getting rewarded for doing good things, performing, all that good stuff. You know, but recently it, it's, it's just very interesting to see how that has really changed. I mean, you know, there's, there's quite a few investors I know in microcaps that made careers out of, out of finding fraud and were very good at it. And, and it was good for the markets, you know, but it seems that it's, it's, yeah, right, then, it's then there's crazy a genre. change. Yeah, there's a, there's the genre of the hit and run short seller report, which is not good. And so what happens, you know, I mean, for a few years now, I've had a blanket policy. You know, every so often, someone who's written a report will contact a reporter and they'll say, you know, do you want to see it? And the answer is, I do, but I do not want to see it before public before you put it out there. And I'm going to read it like everyone else and wait and see, you know let things settle down a bit, figure out what's, if you, if you flag real issues that need to be addressed in your report, like that Nikola Motor one that came out a few months ago, like the issues will still be there tomorrow. You don't need it. You know, you don't need to run, run with it five minutes later. And there's some great reports that people put out there like that one. And there's some absolute crap. And, uh, you know, our job in media at a high level is to, and it's, this is way easier said than done, but it, it's simple. It's not easy, but keep the crap out. Show the readers the good stuff, right? I mean, at the, that ultimately, that's the game. Uh, and you got to be mindful of that. Um, you know, everyone needs a good editor. Yeah, that's for sure. No, well, you know, it's it's funny. Or not, it's not funny, actually. But like, in, uh, like with micros, it was, I remember Yahoo Finance used to publish, you know, um, I think I don't think they do anymore, but all the Seeking Alpha articles and like that, some of those articles that would come out that were short reports would just destroy micros. I mean, maybe yeah. some, they would just destroy them. 
And, you know, I mean, some, some were valid or actually, honestly, I don't, I'm not even totally sure. Some were, some were valid, some were not. And it would just destroy some shareholders that might've been in it for the long term. And all of a sudden they see this short report that, you know, got, you know, uh, published based on, because they, they have the, the, whatchamacallit, the API set up, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, and, you know without, without naming names, you know, there's always in these reports like, oh, this guy worked at Arthur Anderson 20 years ago, so, and Arthur Anderson went bust, so this company's a fraud, and it's like, okay, like, you know, our, thousands of people worked there, and, like, some bad things went on there, but also some people went to work and came home like a normal person, and, you know, I mean, you, sometimes, you know, in this, with the speed of the internet and how fast allegations can be amplified, uh, you know, the the context that would show you that some of these uh, these allegations are tenuous at best, you know, it's taking some time to uh, push back on. Charlie, I got to ask you, you know, being in the field and and checking sources and wanting to make sure, you know, you know, the truth of the story as. as close as it can possibly be, you know, especially when you're analyzing a short report and at the same time, on the other side, a long report, you know, how do you weigh the incentives, you know, so that for you, when you're publishing a story on one report or another, you're like, okay, these incentives seem like they're genuine. Like how, how do you tell what, what's, what seems more genuine than others? As opposed uh, to somebody just you mean doing From the reader or from the, the reader or. For, for, I'd say from the report. From the reports that you get, I'm uh, sorry. From the reports that you read, when you're reading a short or a long report. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's hard to you know it's it's sort of case by case. I mean, uh, you know, we'll go, we'll go back to the the Valley of Philidor example, right? Like there, uh, you know, there was the comp. You know, we. I remember like when we when the. Uh, when Roddy Boyd wrote his first story about uh, about the, the drug supply system, uh, Valiant said, you know, well, this is one plant and there's 7% of our sales. And that's all it said. And didn't say how much of their profit came from there. So, right. And... When I go into LinkedIn, I see people who work at Philidor and there's two different states. So that's an extreme example of something, you know, fall, falling apart pretty quickly. But you, you, uh, you can't, uh, you, you have to take each of these things case by case basis, especially because oftentimes I've never heard of this company. You know, there's a lot of companies out there. And even if you spend all day doing nothing but capital markets work, you're going to know a small fraction of them. Absolutely. As you probably know better than anyone in microcap land. Like I could barely keep track of who's in the Dow. So <laughs> honestly, dude, it is so, I mean, there's so much, you, I mean, you know, like there's just so much information and how many come, was there 10,000 plus names, you know, including all the things like that. Come. It's just, I mean, there's just so much news and, and it's, and especially right now with markets being as frothy as they are. I mean, it is just, it's just blown. I, I have no other words. It's just, it's flowing, yeah. you know, <laughs> get our name out there. We just, we just signed this LOI, get it out there. And what, what, what happens with the vast majority of the short reports is I throw up my hands and say, maybe, maybe not because, 
sometimes, you know, like I don't even know this company is and how they make money. Like if I've never even read their investor presentation and don't know the first thing about their industry or business, and then you're just presented with all these allegations, it's like, I can't follow along here. Um, and you throw up your hands and the reality is that some of these are legally sensitive. And if we amplify stuff, that's not true. That can, that can ruin my career. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about, you know, people don't want to get fired at the top of the broadcast and the markets. Well, I can assure you in the newsroom, we also do not want to get fired. Of course. Uh, so caution rules the day with that stuff, you know, and, 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 and I think that makes for a better newspaper, but also keeps our, saves our bacon a bit. I mean, this is going to sound kind of extreme, but like, are we, in an, are we, is this the beginning of the end of the research report, you know, on both the long and the short side? I mean, you can give such you know, a quick take in so many different ways. Like what, what does you know, a research report I, now do? Sometimes I think the sell side analysts and the business reporters are talking to each other and there's no client in between. Um, I don't, you know, not every bank and every, uh, every industry of course and not every analyst but every once in a while i'll call one of them and say what what's on your clients minds and they'll say they don't call so i mean right. i guess and i mean you know i think that's what happens when when the market is in a glide path that's very pleasing right i mean it's it's easy for me to wag a finger and say well why didn't you do your homework with the market well doing your homework has cost you money for a long time now and it's very dangerous because that can flip at any moment. And, you know, you know, everyone knows what happens on the, everyone listening would knows what that would imply. Um, but when is that moment coming? And, you know, if you thought that things looked a little overheated in 2017, you screwed yourself and your clients, right? So, uh, yeah, a, I mean, it's, so... It's, of course, people aren't doing their homework, but like it make it does. It is understandable why these things go on. Is I guess what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So going back real quick, I you know on on the Robin Hood take, you know you, you were following you, you published your article. I think yeah, I believe it was yours. I was following uh, yesterday's GameStop hearing. I mean, got to get your take on that. I mean, do, will anything happen? What what well, or what I could happen? As a result, I was trying to avoid the hearing. Um, because all right, I've sat through a lot of drug pricing congressional hearings before this one. I, I was concerned, shall we say, concerned that the members of our legislative body might not capture all the subtleties of this situation. <clears throat> so uh, sure enough, uh, the hearing turns into a gong show and I turn it off because I have a headache. And my uh, one of my better sources calls me and is like, dude, log into YouTube and look at the comment section and you know youtube comments make reddit look like you know a mensa gathering and you know basically what was happening is people were logging into this hearing and using the youtube comment section as a chance to pump their favorite stocks when we are gathered to discuss stock pumping and it's among other issues stock pumping and its negative effects it's just Unbelievable. I mean, we had people tweet, you know, posting things like uranium, uranium, uranium in all caps and, you know, pumping up uh, questionable biotech investments and second rate crypto is not even Bitcoin. 
you know, I don't think everyone learned their lesson. Is what I mean. So, uh, you know, any hope that GameStop, the GameStop, I mean, people who did lose their shirts did learn a lesson. But in terms of there being a mass awakening in the market about uh, the day trading frenzy, it did not happen, in my opinion. Um, we might see some restrictions on payment for order flow and maybe some short selling, new short selling rules. It's possible. But, um, you know, uh, DC does a lot of talking and not a lot of doing. So, right. Uh, you know, I think, I, you know, and I think people's attention spans are shorter than they've ever been, which has market implications. It has news implications. It has legislative implications. Will anyone care about GameStop in two weeks? I don't know the answer, but I, I think it's worth asking that question. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and we have like, I think there's like nine movie deals for the GameStop story. Like these things will take a couple of years to come out. Is anyone, go, who knows what kind of crazy shit will happen, you know, the rest of this year. Yeah. No. I mean, yeah. maybe that was just a warm up. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, look, we'll, yeah, will GameStop even still be around in, in the couple years when that, when that movie does even come out, you know, or yeah. one of the yeah. 10 movies? That's hopefully is at least I hope Michael Lewis is involved in some respect. I think we're all hoping that. I also really hope GameStop will eventually management will eventually talk about what it was like and just like put us in the room with them because I'm sure they were just like, "What the hell is going on? What's going on? Should we raise capital? Uh, should we like? I think they might. There's, I mean, a couple other meme meme stock. I know one in particular that did like a fifty million dollar registered uh, or at the market, but yeah. You know, I, I I so want to be a fly on the wall in that corporate boardroom. And Absolutely. What Absolutely. Was going I just want to hear what they talked about. I mean, and you know, with the congressional hearing coming up, uh, you know, it would have been obviously a good thing for the business to inject capital. That might not have been such a good decision for them personally if they raised right before the congressional hearing. Just saying. Yeah, there was there was definitely a lot of yeah there there was a lot of thought pieces out there about like why didn't they raise capital and then like you know I, there was actually really some very smart people putting out some really good business strategies on like hey go raise capital and restructure the company in this way to do this kind of thing and some of the ideas were actually pretty good you know it was just like oh. I, I remember but but like you said I, I'm sure that was probably the number one they know there was probably going to be a congressional hearing coming up and it would just look so bad. It was so bad. So, and, so bad. And look, everyone in the finance community wants to laugh at Congress because they don't understand any of this. And look, I laugh too, so don't get me wrong. But like, those people can mess your life up if they want to. So, and I don't think the GameStop management team isn't aware. Yeah. Oh, no, for sure. For right. sure. Like, I, I mean, yeah. yeah. No, no, you were saying, no, no, finish nah, that up. Yeah. I was just re recalling Martin Shkreli rolling his eyes at them in the uh, drug pricing hearing a few years ago. Probably. I, I understood the impetus to roll your eyes, but not necessarily the best business decision. Yeah, you, you gotta take, no matter what your thoughts, you take it seriously. Like this is still, this is Congress, this is government, like you don't mess around. And especially, I mean, you're dealing with people's money as, as well. You know, like you just, you just, don't. you don't. But um, all right, so I wanted to move on to another topic because this is another area that you cover quite extensively, which is biotech, you know. Um, sure biotechs, COVID-19, vaccine development, you know, what's, what's, where are we currently? I mean, I think most of us 
probably have some idea of where we're at. You know, we got Pfizer, we got Moderna, Johnson and Johnson is about, I think they have their one shot one that's about to come due. You know, Mm -hmm. but actually the main reason I wanted to bring up this topic to you is because back in March last year in April, any microcap biotech that put COVID-19 in their press release, especially if they were looking at developing a vaccine, I mean, they shot up what, 20, 30, sometimes over a hundred percent just in a day. Oh yeah. And, and actually, actually, that happens every time there's, you know, an outbreak of a scary disease, even, right, right. you know, Ebola. Ebola five years ago, if you said Ebola six years ago, whatever that was, I think 2014, but yeah. if you put Ebola in to pay press release, off you went to the races. Yeah, Ebola, I think SARS also, there was some, there mm-hmm. was, that happened as well. You know, so, I mean, you know, we're, the rollout has, despite there being some hiccups and, and problems and whatnot, it's been quite extensive. I mean, Israel is doing amazing. I think I saw a stat on CNN today is over 50 million shots have already been gone out. And, you know, do any of these microcaps have a chance? You know, I mean, that's the thing is like, and, you know, there are, there are companies who have done like Novavax is coming in a few months. The data look fantastic. It's, it's obviously a very good vaccine and there will be demand for it around the world. But to your point, you know, Pfizer is cranking. I, I, my colleague, Jared Hopkins, just reported a few minutes ago that a second Pfizer plant, not just the one in Kalamazoo, is going to start uh, producing vaccine down in Kansas. Um, I, I don't know exactly what they said about picking up the pace, but the pace is picking up considerably on that front. J&J, just one shot, cuts the number of shots you need in two. I was talking to... Um, Secondhand, but I, I heard of a hospital vaccine rollout director for one of the New York City hospital systems, and one of the role one reason the Johnson and Johnson shot will really speed things up is once they get their manufacturing in order is uh, not just the one shot that you, and you can give it in the doctor's office. That that part is certainly true, but has been is self explanatory. The other thing is with the Pfizer and the Moderna shots, you need to be monitored for anaphylaxis reaction. And that only takes 15 minutes, but it's a big staffing backlog because obviously you can't just staff just anyone to watch for that and be ready with the EpiPen. And the J&J is not going to be an mRNA vaccine, and that doesn't seem to be a concern in any of the clinical literature that I've read. And the big centers can just thank you very much and push you out the door. Um, And I think that's going to, at a given site, that's going to dramatically increase the capacity of what they can do in a day. So all that is great news for you and me. I'm pretty sick of living in a hole for going on month 12. And I'd like to get back out in the world. It's great if you own the the leisure stocks. Um, The vaccine stocks could be in trouble, the smaller ones. and it's through no fault of their own. They might just run out of time. And I think um, that would be a happy day for almost everyone. But I think if you're holding on to those, you have to consider the, the risk that the pandemic will end sooner than people think. Right. Yeah, because I remember like I remember my I mean, I, I don't own any of these stocks, but like I remember if I were to have a thesis, I'm like, OK, well, it's just it's a race to the vaccine. Right. But at the same time, you might need, as we've seen, more uh, clearly more than one vaccine in order to address the entire human population out there, right? So that leaves room for some of these 
speculative companies that are going to develop a vaccine. And, you know, maybe a, a handful of them work and they go out to maybe some of the more rural areas or, or some areas that won't get direct access to some of the big pharma ones that go out there. But sure, sure. Literally the rollout. There will be markets, right? Like, I mean, there's a lot of countries in the world that haven't started their vaccinations. But all right, let's just pick a random country. Peru, how much are they going to pay you for your vaccine? Not what the U.S. is going to pay. And I think I think as you go farther down the stack into the developing world, what you can reasonably expect to book in revenue is just not. It's, it's not going to be what people are hoping for. So, um, you know, there's still hope because we don't know how many, you know, we don't know all these booster shot issues. We don't know how often. We don't know if this is going to be a flu shot kind of deal where you have to go every fall to do this. Um, but, you know, biotech stocks have a ton of risk in them because that's just that's the way things work. And uh, the one number one rule with biotech stocks is be careful. And the second rule is don't forget the first rule. So <laughs> yeah. I was just saying, be careful. Feel Warren Buffett's thing, but yeah, be careful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Well, you know, because you just you wrote an article that came out on the seventeenth about uh, waiting for big pharma's coronavirus profits to impress Wall Street. You know, so what what was your thesis there on in this article? Well, you know, it, it's like it's funny because uh, you know a huge cash pile in big pharma is almost a negative, right? It's like, well, what are you going to reinvest this in? So Pfizer's going to book fifteen billion dollars in revenue this year from its COVID vaccine. Um, that was probably a low ball because that was only there. That guidance only includes actual contracts that have been signed and there will probably be more. So, you know, that's going to be, um, you know, a lot of money for them, but the stock has been, you know, straight down since the day they first came, not straight down, but you know, it's a good 20% off the highs of when they first came to us with the good news in November. And the market is basically saying, okay, we're done. We're not giving you any more credit for that. And, you know, that is just a market contrast to Moderna, Novavax, all these other things. Moderna is going to have a huge cash pile and they still have plenty of good investment opportunities. So I don't think that should be held against them. But, you know, Pfizer and uh, Gilead is, Science is also selling a lot of that remdesivir stuff. And maybe it's all one-time thing and shouldn't be counted when you're, you know, doing a DCF. But I don't know. Maybe maybe, maybe this lasts longer than we think. And if uh, it, not 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 the pandemic emergency, but the need to get more shots, right, on an annual basis, not yet, right. The whole COVID apparatus getting swabbed before a concert, whatever they're going to make us do when we get back out there. Um, and I think one of the it's just one of the big investment questions in healthcare is just both how long will the emergency last and how long will the COVID infrastructure, for lack of a better word, be needed? Testing, therapeutics, vaccines, the whole shebang. Yep, absolutely. So my last biotech question for you um, is. In general, what would you say investors get wrong the most when considering a biotech investment? Um, don't assume the stock is going down if it fails. That's a good. That's an interesting. That's a good one. I like that. I like that. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Um. So I I know some. You know. I think you have to anticipate not only what the compound is going to do, but 
how management is going to frame it and how people are going to react to the framing, right? So companies, for instance, companies, there's a lot of things management teams can do to keep their share price up, even if their drug isn't really a winner. Um, Company X has very positive meeting with FDA. You see that press release all the time. FDA doesn't comment on company meetings. So no one, you can't, it's 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 a great trick to hook a, a retail investor who's new to the game because it's utterly meaningless and sounds great and no one is going to rebut you definitively. Pretty good scheme, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean... Well... <laughs> Yep, <laughs> I'm in the wrong. I'm in the wrong line of work. <laughs> no, it's pretty. I mean, th- that's not something I ever could. I mean, because most of the time, especially especially in micros, it's like a medium. Like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how the, how they spin it. You know, it's an, an imme- it's immediate. Like you know, uh, they weren't in the uh, top line results were not in. You know, yes not statistically significant, you know, exploring other avenues of, you know, for this or something like that. The the other thing, and this, this is a general point is if a drug works, they don't need to give you subgroup and post hoc analysis and this randomly selected eight patients out of the 200 patient pool. And these did really great on the dose that was three times as big as everyone else's. Uh, if, if it works, the, the communication that it works should be pretty simple. Right. And if it's not, that's a concern. The other thing is, you know, drug, you know, when a drug is approved, that is often when there'll be the most press around it. And that's actually when a biotech is at its most dangerous point. Um, you know, biotech is really good at developing drugs. Big Pharma is really good at selling drugs and there's a big difference. And sometimes a a company that's just developed their first big winner might choose to sell out to Big Pharma altogether so they can get this product distributed, get a sales team, sales force, all that stuff. Uh, They might partner with Big Pharma or they might choose to go it alone. And choosing to go it alone has a lot of downside and not much upside. And it might make you wonder what just what the big pharma people actually thought of this hot new drug. Interesting. Uh, um, you know, th- all this is uncertain. You know, all this the thing about biotech is there's so little to go on as an investor. Right. I mean, and, and that's what that's what makes it fun to cover, certainly. And. Uh, fun to invest in as long as you don't get smoked out there. Um, but you, uh, you know, you could you you could be staring at the next Jonas Salk side by side with a total huckster, and it's gonna it's much harder than you think to tell which is which. Yeah, and it, it's the best of the capital markets, and it's the worst of the capital markets all in one wild place. So it's a lot of fun to cover, but like. It's also a very dangerous place to invest. A hundred percent. I that that was some of the best advice I think I've had on the podcast when looking at biotech and both of those things that you just said. So everyone listening, cool. definitely write some of that stuff down because it, 
one caveat on my biotech advice i'm a history major okay and i do not i do not i have never predicted whether a drug is going to work in the paper and i will never do that that's just not something i'm qualified to do so don't ask <laughs> not you everyone listening yeah no i mean look anybody who can do that uh, power to them like yes. that is that is just uh, how there are, and there are people i can call on who i trust but they they have the science knowledge not me yeah no absolutely so okay so i mean before we get to your background and and philosophy and everything have we missed any current event i mean or or is everyone going to kill me for not asking you at least to get some soundbite on tesla i should, uh, should, oh or, my or, god are we are, are, does anyone really want to hear about that anymore i don't I, you know i i don't know i you know look like i said microcap podcast you know yeah. it comes up every so often as like a case study in some respects you cover it extensively. Well, the, I mean, it is the avatar of this market, right? I mean, yeah. and as long as Tesla's hovering at 800 bucks, it's hard for me to see, you know, stocks really falling too far. Um, as long as, as long as the risk on that signal is out there. Yep. That's, uh, well, yeah. yeah. I, I continue to not be a believer in the Tesla story at all, but the stock market says otherwise for now, and that's fine. I, well, okay. So I have to ask you how how does it what what what's your what's it like being a Tesla bear in the FinTwit community? I'm sure it, it is it is a lot of nasty emails and a lot of nasty tweets. I that that, I, that sums it up right now. A few years a few years ago, I was driving back from a ski trip with my spouse and fired off a Tesla tweet before I started driving. Asked my spouse to hold the phone. You got a nasty gram. You got another nasty ground. Is this what you do for for a living? <laughs> that so that was the you know the conversation. But um, it's you know I think if you are in a newspaper uh, opining about markets, you have to be willing to take stands that are not always popular to be of any use to your readers whatsoever. So. Um, that doesn't mean that my stance is good and yours is bad, but I have to follow where, you know, where my thinking takes me. And I, I will never tell people buy a stock because it's going up. If you're running a book and need to keep up with your benchmark, I mean, you might choose to do that. And like we talked about at the top of the hour, but you know, what, what is liberating about writing for the newspaper versus, you know, running a, running you know, long short book is I could have a bad month and I'm still going to be here. And so I, you know, I think that's, and that's, of course I don't, I don't get a bonus, but you know, it's, uh, it's liberating. And I think you have to take advantage of the flexibility that that gives you and say what you say, what you think. Yep. Now look, it's your responsibility to take a stance, you know, one way or the other. And, you know, you just hope that people at the end of the day will respect that it, it's a well-researched stance. It's not like it's just a take, you know, and uh, that that's, as, as long, you know, yeah. What is funny to me, though, is how angry the diehard bulls get. Like, look, if I was long a stock that IPO'd at 20 bucks and went to 4,000, okay, I would be too busy counting my money to care what some jerk at the newspaper said. 
And for whatever reason, that's just not what's going on. And I got an email, like one of the days when Tesla was ripping this summer, which was every day, but I wrote a Tesla article, one, you know, same, same message, same theme as always. And I got an email from a guy accusing me of ruining his special day. And it was like, I ruined your special day. You wrote back to figure it out, right? You had to, I, you wanted to hear what the, no. Okay. All right. Fair. I did not. I did not. <laughs> I, I let that, 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 you know, that's between you, you yourself and your shrink, but yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, look, Tesla is a wild story. It's a lot of fun to cover. People are passionate. People read it. Um, and you should have a thick skin if you're going to be a media member in there. So that is for sure. I mean, okay, my one last Tesla question, because this is something we talk a lot about in microcaps, you know, talking about management and intelligent fanatics, you know, shout out to Ian and his crew on the, you know, intelligent fanatic series, Ian Castle I'm talking about, um, you know, and it, I've been wanting to do an episode at some point for one of our other shows, the Investors Roundtable, talking about intelligent fanatics and just getting a better understanding of like our modern day ones and what that means, you know, so it's, it's almost, you know, I'm not by any means about to then imply that, you know, Elon Musk is an intelligent fanatic by any means. I'm not, I'm not here to make that claim or whatever. I'm, I'm not at the paper, so I don't have to make a stance one way or the, or the other yet. Uh, but, uh, but you know, what, what's it like for you when you have that stance, when you know people see him in that light and, and by all means, one, even if you're not an investor in Tesla, you, you want to see it succeed in the sense of all the, potential things that it, you know, uh, all, the, all the good that it can potentially do in some of his uh, yeah. en- endeavors there, right? But like, what, what, what's your mindset? The model, the, the model S is a sweet car and I wish I could afford one. How's that for? It's awesome. It's awesome. It's an yeah. awesome car. Totally. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, he is, he's such a dominant personality. I mean, like, I think the, it was a couple of years ago, but the Gallup, like most trusted, like person in the world. And it's always the current U.S. president, like the Democrat, the opposition. So it was like Trump, Obama, Pope Francis, Elon Musk. And he only got like a small portion of those votes. But like it was striking. You don't no one else. There's no other CEO. Most people can't name a single CEO. Besides him, right? I mean, if, if you ask your average buddy who's not in finance, like, name a CEO, they'll say Elon Musk. They might know Tim Cook. Bezos, maybe. Maybe Bezos. Oh, yeah. Well, not anymore. Yeah, not anymore, technically. <laughs> um, although I don't know when that's effective. Um, but anyway, um, he, but so, you know, he's such, a, he's such a dominant cultural force that what he says carries such great weight with everyone. And, you know, I think that's a, been a tremendous advantage for the Tesla business. Uh, not everyone can move markets with their tweets. Not a, that is, that's for sure. That's for sure. I sure don't. <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, <laughs> um, you know, and, and in terms of like what it's like to be, you know, on the other side of this, I mean, it's pretty funny. I mean, all my, all my friends from college are buying calls, getting rich and laughing at me. So. <laughs> Yeah, but they're you know beers on them, so fine. Yeah, exactly. It's like no, you, you guys are right. Here we go. All right. Well, I think I think that we've covered our our current events portion of the podcast. I know I think we're 
we were only 40, 45 minutes in and then finally getting to your background, which I find equally as fascinating. So, I mean, let, let's, let's go there a little bit before, before you have to get out of here, but uh, I'd love sure. to know, love for you to share with the audience, you know, where did your passion for investing start? Um, it started when you graduate college in 2008 and need a job and bounce around for a couple of years. Fair enough. Yep. Uh, you know, I, I was, you know, I grew up, you know, my father has been in this business for a long time and I grew up with market ideas around us at the dinner table and all that. I really thought I wanted to do something else with my life, but I didn't know what, uh, taught, taught school for a couple of years, taught English in China overseas, uh, right out of college. I was over there for when Lehman failed. That was pretty crazy. It was like, I just did not, I'd read these articles and be like, what, that can't be what happened. Um, so Lehman failing first, what happened, my first thought was, oh shit, I should have done more homework in college. Cause you know, I don't have a job when I'm coming back to the States and it looks like the economy has completely gone to hell. All my buddies who are you know moving to New York from college to start their two year iBanking analyst roles all flushed everybody out. Um, so that was quite an intro to the adult world. Um, you know, my father was nice enough to give me a job at his shop when I, you know, 2011 or so, uh, told me to go get my CFA at night while I worked and learned how markets work. Did that for a few years. Um, got, got kicked out of my dad's basement, moved to the journal. And I've been here ever since. So just, I just finished, uh, six years this week. So. Wow. Congratulations. What, why did you, so what, what, what instigated the move then from working at your dad's shop to then going to a work at the journal? I think, well, you know, you know, Grant's interest rate observer is this great place, but it's Jim and a couple other analysts and, you know, it's going to be his, his show. And over the years, most of his analysts have stayed there for a few years and left just because the, the, you outgrow the role. Um, so moved over to do, uh, heard on the street at that point, you know, they were looking for a new writer and then, uh, 2015 that they thought they'd start me on a boring beat us pharma and biotech. Of course, that was the year of Valiant and Martin Shkreli and the XBI getting sawed in half and campaign ads from presidential campaigns, candidates, you know, vowing to crush the industry with their bare hands. Pretty wild stuff. Um, and unfortunately for me, the first year was the most fun. So, you know, it's like when you go to the amusement park and ride the roller coaster first, and then everything yeah. else is kind of a letdown after that. Um, but, you know, it was, those stories were so great, just in terms of how rich they were to cover and so much fun, such hard work, so challenging. And you figure, you know, what you learn, uh, and what I love about markets, really, which I did not understand as a kid, but I've come to love this, is, you know, if you are like a dentist or a plumber, you can learn everything about, there is to know about teeth, plumbing, right? With markets, the game changes on you. Thing you, you never solve, you never, no one ever really solves the puzzle, right? And the people do for a period of time and then the rules reset unbeknownst to that person and their style doesn't work anymore. And you can spend a whole lifetime with this and not master it. And some people might be turned off by that, but I just love that because you, every day is something, you know, 
newish and the, the possibility of something new and um it's exciting and it keeps me keeps me motivated and you know ready to get to work when i wake up absolutely so you know i have to ask because you know as someone i grew up in a family where you know my father was on wall street you know he owned his own investment banking firm for many years and you know there is those conversations that happen around the table but were you also that same person that like because there was time where i was like talking about business i don't want to hear about this right now like there's definitely times where especially now in hindsight especially working in the industry that we are now i'm like oh i wish i was paying attention just a little bit more yes 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 like do you feel that Yes, along those lines, I remember I was, I was, that's a great one. I was a, oh God, I must've been a junior in high school, just miserable, sullen teenager. And three weeks, for like three weeks, every day, dad gets up from the dinner table, get on the phone upstairs, Enron, Enron, Enron. I'm like, God, well, shut up about this Enron thing, right? And then you're watching CBS Evening News, they're like, Enron disintegrated into a pile of, Right. And it's like, oh, oh, so that was really, that was important. So, yes, wow. I, like, I did not understand the mechanics of Enron in real time. I understood Enron important, Enron gone. Wow. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's a great story. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm sure you have a million of those just like that where you're like, yeah. Well, that's the one that, that's the one that's the most vivid to me, you know, a couple decades later. But yeah. Oh, absolutely. So I also have to ask, I mean, you know, now that you've been coming to Mark's many years and, you know, if you, and you, you said at the top that I believe you don't own any individual names. You, you just, you index because, you know, you're yeah, yeah, no, you just, yes. You, I mean, at the journal, you can't, no options or short selling or anything like that no. ever. No individual names you don't cover. And it's just easier to just, you never know what you'll be asked to cover. In the future, yeah, so it's just not do. Also, my picks are terrible. So, <laughs> I mean, every Tesla bull will agree with you, right? Like, yes, you're right. right. Your right. picks are finally, absolutely yeah. terrible, Charlie. Finally, finally, they're nodding along with something I said. Yes, they're like, yeah, no, we, ch ch you know, check that box right there. Uh, they're like, Bobby, come on, take that clip out and share that one, just that one. But um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you had, so if you had to have, you know, like an investing philosophy, if you were, you know, actively looking at individual names, I mean, what are some things that you would look for, especially right now, as you know, we're recording this on maybe February 19th. You know, what are some things that you look for right now? Hmm. That, that's a big question. I know. You mean in a good long? Yeah, in a good long. Hey, on the on the long side. Yes, on the long yes. side. Uh, I think on the short side, we we know where we know where you stand. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Don't <laughs> my on short selling. Don't is my main yeah. advice. Yeah. Um, you know, I think you know. I'm not sure if there's a company out there that exists today, but one of my favorite stories to write about over the years was this company called Inanta Pharmaceuticals. And they, they, were, they were a small company and they made a key ingredient in, uh, they made you know, a, an ingredient in a pill that AbbVie made that knocks out, you know, cures hepatitis C. And they were this amazing stock because they were developing all this exciting biotech stuff and the usual roll the dice and see what happens, you know, with the clinical trial was there, but they were making like a good amount of money off their royalty income just from this existing product. And they, you know, they, there was a real floor 
in the stock just because cash is coming in the door. They won't have to, you know, issue equity at a depressed at a fire sale price if the trial doesn't work. And it, so they had it was a situation where you had these like six or seven good shots on goal. And I think many of these have missed, unfortunately. But you know, you knew that they were making money and there was a base level of, okay, it's not going to be that bad if this doesn't work out. And, you know, I think that was, you know, like those situations are of course very hard to find. They don't come around every day. And that stock did very well for a long time and then started to come back a bit. But I, I guess the point is you can find things if you look around that, uh, you know, just try to find ways to make it heads. I win tails at least. At least it's a tie. Yeah, everybody thinks about biotech in that in that like uh, was it? The, what's blanking? You're you're the writer here. I can't think of the word. Is uh, the, the you know it's either it works or it doesn't. You know, yeah. <laughs> especially when it comes to results, especially at the, at the microcap biotech world where it's like phase one, good data, not good data. Yes. What's yes. what's the word? What's the word? It's a bi bi uh, the the the. the, the can't think of the word. I don't know why, but you know what I'm trying to say. Well, the one thing, the one press release you never want to see is provides business update. Yeah. But <laughs> if companies provide business update, figure out your new job. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> provides business. That means they blew up the labs. Oh man, that's that's too funny. All right, well, I want to get to story time. You know, because and this is my favorite question to ask everybody on here. So I have to ask you. You know, and, and I'm going to adjust it a little bit. You know, what would you say is an investing story or just just uh, something that you covered that really impacted your career the most? You know, you mentioned, uh, what was the name of the company? Anantra. You mentioned that one Anant already. Anantra. Yeah. What was it? Anantra, yeah. And that was Anant just a fun one. E-N-A-N-T-A, yeah. E-N-T-A yeah. is this. That was a fun one to do. I wouldn't say that uh, had a deep, profound impact on me. Um, but, you know, I think uh, there was a story I did uh, just about, you know, I think when price gouging was such an issue, I think we did some really good work to get to the bottom of, you know, who was really responsible for drug prices going up um, in a way, you know, so everyone ganged up on Martin Shkreli because he was so in your face about everything he was doing and would go on TV and brag about it. Turns out Martin learned his price gouging techniques from people. You know, he learned that from someone else and that someone else was eventually uh, admitted into the pharmaceutical lobby farm PHRMA. Um, where they were starting a company called Marathon. And what they were going to do was exploit an FDA loophole where, uh, I forget the technical reason, but there was no generic available for this drug. And it's just some old drug treating some old you know, condition that's in theory not that lucrative and take the price from a gumball to a few thousand bucks a pop. And, you know, that person was going to be led into the pharma lobby and we were like whoa whoa you guys were just saying six months ago that martin doesn't represent us and who we are as an industry and i was like well looks like it does and i had an interview with martin and he says he learned this trick from you so what do you guys have to say about that and they didn't have much to say 
And, you know, that was a real eye opener. I'm not saying that people should be sympathetic to Martin or not. He's a controversial guy. You know, he did, he did raise the price of that drug by quite a bit and made people upset by that. But, you know, I think it taught me that like, you know, people are always looking for a scapegoat and for, if you have a scapegoat for a complex problem, you're probably all wrong. And I went on Fox news to talk about this, you know, drug pricing as a more complicated than a scapegoat thing when the EpiPen drama was raging and the Fox news guy yelled me off the air after like five seconds. I, th I thought since we all worked for the same company, I was like exempt for that treatment, but definitely not. So oh um, <laughs> it was pretty funny. Um, it was, it was, I felt during that interview, I felt like I was the one who had personally raised the price. It was being asked to defend myself, but, um, you know, I think just, and I think there's so much more to do in the future about this topic and just peeling back the onion of how this all works and how middlemen, you know, stick their fingers in the pie, make healthcare more expensive for everyone. But what I've learned is, you know, big pharma is certainly not perfect, but it's it's just way too simplistic to say they set the price and they do that because they're cruel and there's no you know they they could just lower all their prices tomorrow if they wanted to it's really not that simple and you know i hope that over the years our work on that will you know maybe lead people to rethink you know what is a smart healthcare policy um, but in the meantime, uh, drugs are a great business because you can, and healthcare in general, because there's really not much price control for an essential, uh, some pe what people can't live without. So, I mean, look, I know this will probably, this, this could probably take us to another hour of chatting, which I, I know you'd love to do, but I mean, just real quick. I would. I would. <laughs> but I'll have to come back. Yeah. I was going to say like, I, you know, we'll come back to that topic at another time because I, there, I would love to learn more about you know, why it's not so simple, because I'm sure yeah. people would love to understand that. Well, give us your quick take as to why it's not so simple, if, if possible. Well, hang on. Yeah, sorry. Just my dog is making a noise behind me. It's, it's benign. I just had to see if he was chewing a toy or my stuff. Um, <laughs> no worries. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, the, the bottom, the basic, the basic thing is that health insurers control all spending levels in the country. And they make more money when prices go up. It's part of the design of the Affordable Care Act. And the Affordable Care Act, you know, a lot of people got health insurance who wouldn't have had it otherwise, you know, by expanding Medicaid and all that. And I'm not a politician. I don't, I don't do politics, but, you know, getting people more care is good. Um, it did nothing for cost control, though. So it was like the best thing that ever happened for the industry, right? Access increased and put it on the tab. And so, and you know, the insurers uh, aren't, you know, they talk about corporate, you know, they talk about runaway healthcare prices, but they really don't do much about it, do they? They have a lot of power. And, you know, and pharma is an unpopular whipping boy, understandably, um, but it's, when you hear, I can't get the drug I want, or I can't get the drug my doctor asked me for, your first thought is, well, screw that drug company. And it's not, what's my insurance plan design and who's the middleman and what does the middleman's contractual incentives look like? 
And it's just a very hard, you know, and, and I think that's a big advantage that the middlemen have had in this, you know, policy debate is because, I mean, who's going to, th- who's going to think of them? No one even knows what that is. And it sounds boring too. Right. It's like, what are, how, and also how do you, how do you control that? Right. Like, you know, yes. you need, drug gets developed, needs to get, then gets sold. And but, there's all these other controls in there, but I mean, I'm yeah. We, we, but, we are the only country where negotiating on drug prices is a lucrative for-profit business. And they're not doing, they, you know, they're doing a great job for their shareholders, but not so much for, you know, plan design holders. So, um, you know, it's, a, it's going to be an issue for the rest of time. And healthcare is, a, you know, a sixth of GDP and really contentious because and people get emotional about it. So... Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's an exciting time to cover this. No, absolutely. And, and one last question on, on that story time. You mentioned that you did an interview with Martin Shkreli. I mean, have to ask. Sorry, I know you got to get out of here. I have to ask about that experience. I mean, what, what, what was that like? And what kind you know, well, what, around you know, what time was it too? This was probably 2017. Okay. So he, he had been in the spotlight for a year or so. Um, you know, I think it was, you know, it was, it's funny, I guess it's, it's different when you're a TV reporter versus just there with your notepad, but, uh, Mark, it was nothing like what you would see on CNBC where he's doing, you know, his WWF thing. Um, it was, it was, you know, he, he was, he was a quiet, uh, quiet, respectful guy when I talked to him. So, um, I don't, I don't know him well. Um, but I haven't spoken to him since his trial. Um, but um, you know, it, it was, it was not like what you would expect from just from watching the press clips on, you know, CNBC or whatever. Interesting. I mean, one, my last question on it, what was the, <laughs> most, what, what was the, what You're was doing the one? What I, did. I know, man, I'm sorry. I can't help myself. I, look, it's, That's it's, my the, technique. yeah, it's the, it's the, it's the curse. It's the curse of having the podcast where we literally have no time and yet do have a time. Yes. But, <laughs> but I mean, what, what was the one thing that he said that, that, I know in general just how it was, but like, what was one thing about the whole situation, you know, being the farmer bro and raising, what was the one thing that still surprised you though, about some of the comments that he made to you based uh, during that interview? Um, well, I think I was just surprised that, you know, I, I, I had been surprised that, you know, this playbook had existed for as long as it had like, you know, he, the reason people didn't know about it was because people pursuing it were quiet. And uh, it was probably to Martin's great personal disadvantage that he did interviews about what he had done and things like that. But it was, it was actually a huge public service to put all these issues out in the open, even though that wasn't really his intention per se. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure it wasn't. <laughs> life, life, happens, life happens in interesting ways. That is for sure. All right, man. Well, okay. Now we're finally rounding the bed. My final question for you today is, you know, and you, you've given some great advice already at, at this point in covering the markets like you do. But you know, for those new investors out there that are looking to invest in the stock market, what advice would you give them? You know, when they're looking at the markets right now, what 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 should they be doing? Start with the most boring stock you can find canned food, something like that. Learn, learn what a stock is, learn what a dividend is, learn what time is in the market. 
Um, I have a friend who texts me every single day asking me if the S&P is going to be up or down tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And what should I tell him? Yeah. I guess up. <laughs> yeah. Like what, what, what do you say? <laughs> There's nothing to say. It's like, I'm not an oracle. Yeah. I was, I, I try to say, well, that's kind of not really how this works, but you know, that's not, it's, it's two ships in the night. We're having two different conversations. So yeah. No, that's that's for sure. Yeah. All right, man. Well, with that, where can my audience go and find more information about you? Follow you on social media and just read and you, just listen to all, all your good stuff. If you somehow did not get enough just now, um, C Grant WSJ is my Twitter handle. I post all my articles there. And if you search my name on WSJ.com, there's a handy biography page where you can find all my articles. Awesome. Charlie, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for doing this, man. I really appreciate you taking the time. And uh, have a great weekend. I look forward to talking to you soon. You, you too. I had fun. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Of course. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. This episode of the Planet Microcap Podcast is brought to you by Friedman LLP, a top 40 global accounting, tax, and business consulting and advisory firm, providing a full spectrum of services for public and private companies since 1924. Contact Friedman when you will need to raise capital and adhere to U.S. standards. The Friedman Partners will work diligently with you to provide the financial assurance, regulatory, and transactional services you need. When the stakes are highest, Friedman makes sure you are well-equipped. For more information and to get a Friedman free consultation, please call 856-830-1660 or email Neil Levine at N-L-E-V-I-N-E at FriedmanLLP.com. Again, for more information and a free consultation, call 856-830-1660 or email Neil Levine at N-L-E-V-I-N-E at FriedmanLLP.com.